This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Well, I'd like to begin my first sermon here at Ashland first by saying thank you, which I think I've already said, but I'm going to say it again. Thank you. You know, I'm grateful for everyone who has helped make our transition uh, smooth and pleasant. And I also want to thank you for waiting a week uh, so I could, so Melinda and I could attend our niece's wedding. And so that's why we weren't here last week, but we're here now. You know, tra- transitions are kind of odd. You know, uh, how many of you have ever moved? Okay, I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> you know, moving is kind of like snorkeling in pea soup. You are immersed in ambiguity. You don't know where anything is. It's, it, it's an effort trying to wade through it all. And when you get down to it, it is just one great big mess. If you've been through a move, which most of you have, you know what I'm talking about. Now, our house is coming together. Uh, but we still have things that won't find its home or its place for months. But we're doing okay. We're doing all of that on top of the emotional stew that, that happens with a move. You know, one week, um, you're saying goodbye. We're saying goodbye to our friends and our families up in uh, the Portland area. And then we're here saying hello. You know, and it's like your psyche says, time out. You know, which is it? Hello, goodbye, hello, goodbye, goodbye, hello. What's going on here? And the answer is yes, it's both. It's just both. A change in pastors, I think, can be interesting. It can be challenging, I think, both for the pastors and the congregation. Uh, Like I, I mentioned earlier, the first Sunday is like kind of a gawky first date. You know, it it seems a bit awkward. And, you know, it's going to take time for us to get to know each other. It's going to take time for us to get to know how to listen to each other. But that's part of the fun of it, kind of the newness and the exploring and stuff. And, uh, And that's why I chose to preach from Second Kings. Uh, I'm usually a lectionary preacher, which I'm sure some of you have heard about the lectionary preacher. It's a three-year cycle of scriptures that uh, congregations go through in order to have a broad exposure to the Holy Scriptures instead of just kind of a a narrow view. So, but uh, I veered from that because uh, I thought, like I said, this passage was so appropriate. It's about a transition in preachers in Samaria. It's in the circuit of the uh, North Israel Conference. And the, um, the story begins with a writer announcing a change in appointments. And so the great cosmic bishop has decided that it's time for 
Elijah to retire and to pass on the appointment to Elisha. Now, when I think of Elijah, I kind of imagine him as kind of this crusty old maverick, you know, with with uh, uh, maverick of a prophet, and he kind of has like razor stubble, like Clint Eastwood in a robe and flip-flops, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and do you remember when he had the showdown at the OK Carmel? <laughs> yes, it was up there, and, and, and 50 of Jezebel's henchmen were there, and there's Elijah by himself going, go ahead, make my day. <laughs> Well, Elijah had been prophet-slinging for 50 years and fighting idolatry and, and, uh, and, and holding the kings and monarch accountable, and now it's time for him to pass on the mantle to someone else. Now, there's a really odd cycle. If you read the whole story from uh, the beginning of the cha- chapter, there's this really odd cycle of uh, events that occurs. Three times... Elijah, who we know is, 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 is going off, tells Elisha to stay put. And I don't know why he said that to him. Because <laughs> you know, after all, we're pretty sure he's got the appointment. You know? So it, started, it starts back in 1 Kings, when Elisha was holed up on Mount Horeb, having some pretty seri- a pretty serious confab with God about his future. Elijah is thinking about resigning. And God tells him, hold on. What are you doing here? There's so much more to do. And so one of the first things that uh, Elijah is told to do is to go anoint Elisha. And so he does it in a rather odd way, too. They are, uh, Elisha's out plowing in his father's field. And then Elijah comes running along. It almost reminds me of a Monty Python routine, you know? You're in the field in the distance. You see the little figure of an old man going like this, holding up a cloak. And he's just watching him, watching him. And then Elijah runs past... No, Elijah runs past Elisha and throws the cloak on him. And so Elisha picks up the cloak and says, Hey, mister, you dropped this. You know, and so <clears throat> he says, let me go back and tell my folks goodbye, and I will follow you. Well, Elisha knew what was going on. But Elijah, in kind of a crotchety manner, says, go back. What have I done for you? Well, Elisha knew good and well what just happened. So he ties up a few loose ends, goes back home, and sets off following the prophet. And what I think is really funny, um, I really understated what Elisha did. He's plowing the field with these oxen, a huge team of oxen. He goes back and slaughters the oxen and has a party. You know, he gives the food to the neighbors. I mean, that's talking about commitment to your new appointment, you know. (laughs) Everything gone. Well, you know, it's also rather interesting, that mantle. You know, the mantle he was wearing. It, it, it's, um, uh, well, it's, it's an important symbol of the prophetic gift. 
You know, when, when the two reach the river, Elijah takes it off and rolls it up and thump, smacks the water with it. And the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I wonder if Elisha thought, about time he washed that smelly old thing. <laughs> well, the water sought the same thing, and so it split right in two. <laughs> Just like it did for Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea, and so they crossed over. And really, there's more going on here um, than a rather convenient way to ford a stream. Phyllis Tribble says that from ordinary times, places, and people, and events, they crossed over the threshold to the numinous. That something unusual and amazing was about to happen. So Elisha is aware of that, too, and he knows that they have crossed over into a different, extraordinary reality. And he doesn't want to waste a moment's opportunity. So when Elisha turns to him and asks, tell me what, you know, what may I do for you? He says, please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Now, does that ring any bells? Tinkle, tinkle. A double share? Remember, double share? Oh, this is one of those date things. Um, when I ask a question, go ahead and answer. <laughs> Double share? Well, twice as much um, as the others who inherit. That's right, that's right, that's good, good. Uh, you're going, $2,000 pyramid, and it is... That's what, that's what the eldest son got. Was, um, uh, that's the eldest son's portion. The eldest son usually comes out ahead <laughs> and stuff like that. So we know that the request, there's a little more going on there. Elisha really, really wants to do this. But a part of him is saying, I'm not sure if I'm going to have the resources to do this. So I need a double share. A double share because... Elijah had a rather cantankerous ministry over 50 years. Well, the old prophet kind of scratches his head and says, well, that's a hard one. But if you see what happens to, to me, then it will be granted. If not, then pfft, never mind. Which is a, a rather long-winded way of Elijah saying, uh, Maybe. <laughs> because it's not up to him. You see, the spirit that he's talking about, and I think it's the prophetic spirit, that is not something that Elijah could bequeath. It's a gift. It's a gift from God, and God will determine who wears it. Well, Elijah could only tell him what he'd see if his hope was granted if he was given vision and insight. And so as they walked along, a chariot of fire and horses of flame appeared. And Elijah is whisked away. And this was some really impressive Academy Award winning special effects here. It was very, very good. And 
And Elijah, he was pretty impressed. But, no, Elisha was pretty impressed. But more than impressed, he had one of those seminal moments in his life when he witnessed a crack between the temporal and the eternity open up. Witnessing that moment when the mundane and the ordinary is infused with a sacred possibility. And he was a part of it. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. So he cries out and he, he tears his, his robe or his clothes. And, and it says he actually tore him in two. And uh, as you probably know, tearing one's clothes is a sign of mourning in the Jewish tradition. And so tearing it into two pieces could mean that, you know, he's, he's ready to give up being an apprentice and ready to take on the mantle. Or it could be an expression of his grief that is so intense that tearing a pocket's not going to do. Maybe it's both. You know, it's a really poignant episode reminding us that it's okay to feel sorrow and a sense of loss when someone who's been a spiritual leader or a caregiver leaves. When we've been touched by grace through them, it is a natural and a sacred thing to grieve. When you lose someone you love, it's a sacred thing to grieve. You know, I've had people tell me, um, oh, I'm so sorry, I lost it. <laughs> and I want to say, no, you didn't. <laughs> you found it. You found the depth of how much this person means to you. Don't cover that up. Embrace it. And you say, oh, thank God that this was even possible in this universe. Well, grief, grief's okay. And in the midst of grief, in the midst of his grief, after the winds have blown away and the dust and ashes, he discovers that Elijah had left the mantle. <laughs> so, or was it Elijah? <laughs> so, Elisha picks it up and goes to the river. And you can feel the tension mounting in this story. So he stands up there. He's still uncertain. And even as he's striking the water, he cries out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elisha? And it's such a wonderfully poignant scene. I mean, you can hear the tone in his voice that is filled both with Anxiety and anticipation. Can you hear that in what he's saying and how he's saying? And when you take on a new leadership role, let me tell you, there's ambivalence. Can I really do this? Will I make a difference or will I just royally screw it up? I think that's the prayer of every parent with a newborn child. Oh, Lord, help me not to scrub this child too much. Okay. <clears throat> what if I don't live up to what is expected of me? I mean, I have those questions. And the answer is, 
I'm going to disappoint you. And I'm going to fall short. I mean, we all do that. We're all going to disappoint each other at some point in time. And what I find really, really amazing is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a German theologian, 20th century German theologian, he says, that's great. (laughs) He says, and the sooner the better. (laughs) Because Christian fellowship isn't founded upon our expectations or even our dreams. Christian fellowship, the church, you all, Christian fellowship is founded upon the truth and the heart and the reality of Jesus Christ. The hope of salvation isn't based on our visions and our ideas of God. It's based on God's vision and hope and intention for humanity, for us. It's based on something that is so grand and so vast and so marvelous that we are invited to become a part of it. And it's bigger than our thoughts, our expectations, our hopes, our sorrows, our pain, anything. And God invites us into this. And there are times, you know, when... when what we think about the church and what, what we think about what the people ought to do gets in the way of that. So in a way, <laughs> you're going to love this one. So in a way, disillusionment, disillusionment is a godsend. <laughs> and the sooner the better. Which is why Elisha's question is the right question. Where is the God of Elijah? Not where are my resources? Where are my commentaries? Didn't I put my robe over here? Where, where, where are... No. The question is, where is God in all of this? Oh, well, we'll find out. Elijah, or Elisha, takes that old mantle, rolls it up, slaps the water with it, and voila, it splits apart. Cecil B. DeMille's couldn't have done better with it. You know, it was marvelous. And the answer is, here. Where is God? Where is the God of Elijah? Right here. Right with us. And the only thing tangible that he has left of Elijah is that mantle. Now, that mantle must have acted as a talisman, um, but it was a, a sign of authority and power. You know, he's parted the waters with it, and it's also a sign of affirmation. What's interesting here that the word for, for mantle, um, and I'm probably going to butcher this uh, pronunciation, but it's rooted in the Hebrew word adar, meaning glorious or magnificent. And in the Bible, it's only used in connection when talking about God. And so when he puts on that mantle, it's a sign of God's glory, of God's presence with us. And that is amazing. Authority, power, and affirmation for Israel to hear that despite the change in leadership from Elijah to Elisha, there is a continuity in the presence of God. 
continuity that runs through it all. And that's what Bonhoeffer is talking about when he says that Christian fellowship isn't a human ideal, it's a divine reality. Not a psychic attitude, but a spiritual truth. And its palpability, are you ready for this? Its palpability is manifest in how we care for each other. You know, there, there are a lot of ways that Jesus or people describe the church. But for me, one of my favorite passages is Jesus describes the church where people will recognize his love. And I think it's John 13, 35, but if it's not 35, it's in the neighborhood. <clears throat> but isn't that a marvelous way to really share who you are as a church by being the church in the heart, not necessarily on billboards and advertisements and all of that, but caring for each other. Where is the Spirit? Where will the Spirit of God lead us? I don't know. <laughs> but are you ready for one wild ride? Amen. <laughs> I think, um, oh, I have to turn the page. Before we... Um, jump into the liturgy of communion. We're probably going to do things a little bit different from what you're used to, but from what I understand, you've done it so many different ways. <laughs> it's kind of mixing it all together. Um, I prefer to use the uh, method of intinction, um, and what does that mean? Uh, some people call it dip and split, but I don't think that's very liturgical. <clears throat> it is uh, where you... I, I break the bread, you take a piece of bread, and you'll dip it in the cup and, and eat. So I, we're not cutting up the bread, but we're just serving from one loaf. And that's how Paul describes communion in, uh, in his letter. I think it's in the Corinthians. It's in the Corinthians. One bread, one body, one loaf, one Lord. And so that's the symbolism behind it. And we're going to have three stations, one right here, one right here, and our gluten-free station will be over here. And so I understand that before some uh, folks who have gluten issues have always had to come up front and stuff like that. Um, don't worry about that. Just mix in with everybody else and, and come forward. Um, anything else? Oh, there are plates here that I mistook for. <laughs> what are these plates for? For the neighbors? This is for me? Uh, I've never been in a church that tipped, you know. <laughs> for the pastor's discretionary fund to help people in need, okay. 
I couldn't resist. It sounded so funny to me. So with that, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let's stop. Thank you. I'm, keep it there. Keep it raised because I forgot we're singing a song.